political battles here at home. I feel like there's always a sense of like, eh, one little thing, and like, boop, everything just tips over into the sea, like, goodbye, you know? I, I felt like that for a while now. Um, I don't know if you feel like that, but there's just not a lot of real strong stability. Uh, especially here in the city. I mean, things can be unstable very, very, very quickly. Um, right before I moved out here, Hurricane Sandy took place. I mean, like, like two months before I knew that. And I was in California at the time, and so we were just seeing news reports of what had happened because of Hurricane Sandy. I was moving to Staten Island. And Staten Island, I think, I mean, got a major brunt of the storm, at least for New York City. And I remember uh, just seeing the news reports making it look like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome had taken place and that the whole area was completely awash. And I truly, uh, the, the day after it happened, I seen all these news reports of all this instability taking place and people fighting each other for gas and stuff, that I called people at the church asking seriously if the home that I was supposed to move into, the house was still there or if the church was still there. Uh, because, because of the instability of the storm happening just like that, I really didn't know if, what my future was going to hold. And thankfully, nothing did happen to, to that area. And, and I was able to move there. But the point is, we sort of breathe the oxygen of instability every day. I mean, you have to kind of get used to it. There's no way to live without getting used to that. So what does all that have to do with the text before us? Well, I think at the time that we see this take place, the disciples are breathing the very same air, deep in stability. Contextually, it might not seem like it at first. I mean, Jesus has just risen from the dead, and so there, there would be great cause for celebration, but there is also a sense of uncertainty. I mean, what is next? What's going to take place? Yes, Jesus has been seen, but then he seems to go away. Uh, and so it's not surprising that many of his disciples have decided to just go back to what they've known before, fishing. Yes, this whole kingdom thing isn't going to happen. I guess this church thing is kind of over. Let's go out and at least get some food, get some fish. And so remember, that was the life for them uh, before Jesus called them to follow him. It's, it's there. Maybe when they're tempted to go back to something that looks more stable, that Jesus shows up. And I believe he shows them how he's going to lead them through unstable times. So, how does he do it? How does Jesus guide us in instability? That's the question I want to deal with tonight. And first, I think it's very clear, he leads us by his revelation. Three times in this text, that word is used. Jesus is said to have revealed or manifested himself to them. Verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea, and he revealed himself in this way. And you skip down to verse 9. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples. And that really is what the church always starts and ends with. Ends with. Jesus being revealed. As a matter of fact, if Jesus isn't being revealed, if he's not being unveiled to you, every week here at Epiphany, don't come. 
if, if you're not seeing, if you're not meeting Jesus, yeah, I mean, what's the point? What's the point? I have sat in churches, unfortunately, many times where preachers have given great advice about money. I mean, really, truly, really like great advice about money. Like, number one, save more than you spend. This is a wise idea. Good. Yes, I agree. Yes. I have said in church when preachers have talked about sex, oh, please stop doing that, preachers. But I'm not so sure about the advice there. Nevertheless, I mean, I, 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 some of the advice is good. Yes, good. It's a married man. I can affirm. Yes, good. I've said in churches where preachers have given great advice on marriage. Serve your spouse. Think about her or him more than yourself. Do things out of love for them and not selfishness. Ding. Great stuff. All good stuff. Have you even heard sermons that told me how to vote? Not so great. Not so great. <laughs> Here's the thing most of those sermons all had to come. Jesus didn't have to have anything to do with it. You could have preached that sermon and never mentioned Jesus' name at all, and it would have been just, you could have heard that same sermon at a Tony Robbins seminar or whoever else is out there as a motivational speaker. I mean, this is true, actually. A while back, I was walking up First Avenue up towards um, 26th Street, and there was a building with all sorts of advertisements on it, big, beautiful advertisements on it uh, that said, like, Get, you know, be your best, be bold, be brave. Probably another B word after that, I don't know. But, um, but and, I, and it was these pictures of like people that had no acne and were just beautiful and nice and handsome. And, uh, and I remember my first thought upon seeing the pictures was, oh, I bet you there's gonna be a new church in that building. I thought this is probably an ad for a church. And then, of course, it, it wasn't. It was for a, a motivational speaker that was coming to town. And, and that's just all to show you that like, it can be the same exact thing. And unfortunately, churches are way, way, way into this, especially in America, because America seems to be absolutely enthralled with making religion something that we consume, something that we can just uh, take, you know, the, the phrase, let me take it to work with me on Monday morning. If it's not practical for me, it doesn't, it's not worth my time. It's not going to make me a prophet. It's not worth my time. This is kind of the way we're programmed to think about so many other things. But, but here's the deal. If we want power, actually, we need Jesus. We don't just need good advice. We need good news. William Wilmot, a bishop in the Methodist Church, has written much about this modern tendency and he sums it up perfectly. He says about so much of the church, unable to preach Christ and him crucified, we preach humanity and it improved. But like the disciples who catch nothing and have no fruit apart from the revelation of Jesus, so you too may toil all night in instability with empty nets unless is revealed. So, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, in his first letter to the Corinthians, says this, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. 
says, I wasn't that impressive of a speaker. Why? Verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Again, Galatians 6, 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that ultimately, what he considered to be the point of his preaching and teaching, the point of the church's teaching was the unveiling of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that marriage and money and sex and politics and all that other stuff that we deal with aren't important. It is. There's, the Bible does address things like this. And so don't hear me wrong. But it needs to be addressed through Jesus. So, Jesus leads us through unstable to unstable times by revealing himself over and over and over again. Revealing himself over and over and over again. And why does that have to be over and over and over again? Because we forget over and over again. Because, you know, as Luther said, in one ear, out the other by Monday, you know, just, that's the way it goes. So, secondly, very closely related, and it's where we actually get his revelation, he leads us through instability by his word, by his word, by his teaching. Look at verse 3, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus, and Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and they caught 153 fish. The disciples have nothing in their own strength, but when Jesus speaks to them, you're not on the other side, boys. Then the fruit comes. Then the hall comes. Where does Jesus speak today? Where do we hear him speak? There are some that want you to believe that he speaks in all sorts of ways that are mysterious and mystical and hard to sort of attain. But, but in truth, if you want to know where to hear him, crack open a Bible, and there you go. There he is. He's there. It always amazes me how prone I am to look to a hundred other things before I look to his word for guidance. But it's there. Or to look to my emotions. Or to look to logic. Again, logic and emotion are good. But if we want to hear Jesus, we got to look to his word. Picture being the disciples out there in the water. Text says they fished all night. Their emotion may have said, I'm tired and depressed with our non-catcher fish. I don't want to go and cast the other side. And their logic may have said, What sense does it make to throw our nets just on the right side of the boat, Jesus? I mean, you're telling me all the fish are like literally three feet over? Like this side. It doesn't make any logical sense to me. I don't know about that. But when the Lord speaks, Christian follows and trusts. He knows what he's saying. So, they throw their nets on the other side of the boat. So, when you hear Jesus say something that seems, frankly, absurd, 
at times. Things like the first will be last, and the last will be first. Or turn the other cheek. Or judge not. Or love your enemies. Or blessed are you when you are persecuted. Blessed are you when you are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are meek. All these things that are like, what are you talking about? No one wants those things. But if Jesus says it, you say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe that this is true, even if I don't see it right now. And finally, we see that Jesus leads us through instability by provision. That's really what this passage is about. I mean, at the end, he does provide for them the fish so that they can have breakfast together. I just, I love this scene. I, I, I love it. He, here's the resurrected Lord, the one who has proven he is king of the universe by his resurrection, beating death. And yet, what does he end up doing in this passage? Stooping down and serving, providing for his church. He prepares the fire. He's prepared the meal. And he invites them to dine with him. He just wants to have breakfast. I don't know about having fish for breakfast. That doesn't seem very appealing to me. But back then, that was normal. And actually, that still is normal in many places around the world. The same is true today. Jesus feeds his church. He provides for his church. He provides for his people. He invites you to dine with him tonight. He doesn't come to you today and say, come on, pull yourself out of that rut and provide me some food. He does not say, guys, you should have known better than to go out fishing. No, all he does is say, come dine with me. Tonight, Jesus invites you to a table as well. But it is not fish that he provides for you. It is his very body. Come dine with me. There's a passage in the confession that our church here subscribes to. It says, in describing the church, very simply put, it says, the church is the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. That's it. Man, I, I mean, I can think of a thousand other things that you could say about church. I can think of a thousand other ways the church is described in various other places. But I love this, this, this short, sort of simple, sweet statement that it is. And I think it gets it right. Ultimately, Jesus leads his church by revelation, his word, and his provision, namely the provision of his body and blood given to us right here. Like he's right here. Here you go. Word and sacrament. If that's there around a group of people, you've got to gather the people that God is gathering. It's church. It's that simple. That's all you need. You don't need to have a huge church. You don't need to have a mega campus. They're nice. It's cool. I was, I was actually at a, a Christ Hole Fest 1517 uh, conference just yesterday. I got home last night about 1 in the morning from uh, Minneapolis. And the place we were at was incredible. I mean, it was this gigantic uh, sanctuary. They have, they have lights and lasers and smoke. I mean, man, it was, it was amazing. Just like this place, really. I mean, but... Um, <laughs> But it was great. I mean, being able to speak there and share the gospel with people. And I think there's about 300 people that came out for it. Just a great time. Uh, but you know, here's the deal. 
Church was just as much happening with 3,000 people today at that church, or however many people meet there, as is happening right here. It's because what matters is not the size. What matters is the substance. What's the substance? The word. The disciple. Church. And thus Jesus leads through an unstable and difficult times. I'll never forget this coming to life for me, like the significance of this. I'm going to wrap up here, but I want to share a story from when I first started as a pastor. And I, when I say first started, I mean first couple weeks as a pastor, which when you start your first couple weeks as a pastor, everything you do, you're just sort of like, what are you doing? I don't know. Oh, yes. I don't know. Like, you're just like, that's true. And so everything you're doing is kind of insecure, and you're nervous, and you're shaky, and, you know, uh, because you're ministering to people's souls. I mean, these are human beings that God has given you to take care of, and you're just like, you're like you're, you know that you're not able to do it on your own. You know you're not strong enough to do it on your own. And, and I remember this one time going with my mentor, Pastor Ron Sunwall, to go see a member of our congregation named Charlene Gunderson in the hospital, my first hospital visit. Charlene had stomach cancer. She was actually in hospice care by that time, and it was known now that at any time that she would, uh, she was going to go. She was going to go home. I was shaking. We arrived there. She looked, she looked very weak. It was clear she was done. She couldn't eat anymore. Her body couldn't digest food anymore. But the Lord's church and his leading through instability is not hindered by such a thing. And so my pastor, my mentor pastor, began going through this communion service with Charlene with a few of her family members surrounding her and dad. And I just, I'll never forget the power of the moment as he said, Charlene, giving for you the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because she couldn't digest, he took the, I mean, just the smallest crumbs he could possibly get on the very tip of his finger and placed it on her lips. And I remember her closing her eyes, and she was barely able to speak at this time, but she's whispering, takes just, just, a, just a drop of wine, just the smallest drop of wine on her lips says, the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of all your sins. And again, she was whispering, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And then he declared to her the same words that I declare to you every week here when we gather around the table. The same exact words I say to you every time we have communion. Charlene, our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ is now giving you his holy body and blood through which he has made full satisfaction for all your sins. And listen to the last words. Remember, we're talking about how Jesus gets us through this instability, this in-between time of knowing he's Lord, risen Lord, and yet here we are in this world where we have to get through it. May he strengthen and preserve you in the true faith of everlasting. Indeed he does.
As the great old hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is singing, singing. Father, I thank you that we're not left to our own devices in an unstable and uh, oftentimes what feels like topsy-turvy world around us. I mean, it is. It is that way. We're not left to our own devices. You reveal yourself to us through your word and provide for us everything we need, especially here at the table again tonight. Once again, reassuring us of the forgiveness of all our sins and strengthening us to preserve us in the true faith of everlasting. We pray that as we gather around the table now, you would do just that. And now, Father, we pray with one voice the prayer our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.